1: Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each
2: day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. I'm amazed we're on session 26 in our Oh, That First Means That series. Can you believe there's this many misunderstood or misapplied scripture verses? We've devoted some time now scrutinizing a host of popular Bible verses we believed meant one thing, but are quickly discovering they actually mean something very different, aren't we? Well, today's session is... How long did it really take God? And I'll be tackling a vexing issue. Yep, creation week in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Even among sincere evangelicals, there's two divergent viewpoints. If you missed any prior broadcasts, go to faithtalk1360.com, search the menu for local program podcasts. And let me say, friends, particularly if you're wondering about 2 Peter 3 8, that says, With the Lord one day is like a thousand years. I dealt extensively with this text in session 21, aired on July 14th, called What a Difference a Day Makes. I recommend you access this podcast at faithtalk1360.com as a companion study. Again, friends, I must reinforce a statement I've been sharing. The Bible really does have a story to tell us. In fact, it's crying out, screaming out to tell us its story. But sadly, we pastors, teachers, and preachers, as well as Christians in general, make, even force, or manipulate the Bible to tell our story. Whether knowingly or unknowingly, I still say, shame on us. And today's topic couldn't stand out more as a text that we've manipulated or forced to tell our story instead of the Bible story. And once again, I'm going to drive home another point I've been making. Peter informs us in his second letter that the Holy Spirit is the author and inspirer of our Judeo-Christian scriptures, our Bible. So isn't the Holy Spirit due our respect as we read our Bibles? Isn't God's word worthy of greater respect? How often have we cavalierly or authoritatively blurted out what we think a verse means? Well, friends, I invite you to re-look at Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 4, because in these first 35 verses of the Bible, the fundamental difficulties rear their head. So today's session will contain four key segments. First, the anti-supernatural bias. Second, the Hebrew word for day. Third, two divergent views in the evangelical church. And fourth, misdiagnosing and misinterpreting 2 Peter 3, 8-10. Our first segment is pretty straightforward. In the mainstream scientific community, there is a natural anti-supernatural bias or predisposition that seems to dominate it. This bias or predisposition is fueled by the theory of evolution, which generally states that what we see in the universe has developed incrementally over thousands or millions of years. So the idea that all we see could be created by a God in a fiat way, in other words, spoken into existence instantly, is mere foolishness. The supposed days of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 are simply myths and do not represent reality. And friends, there's a connection here between our first and third segment. One of the two divergent views in the evangelical church is that the creation days of Genesis occurred over long periods of time, possibly thousands or millions of years, which I'll elaborate on later. Our second segment centers on the Hebrew word for day in both Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and appears to present contradictory information as Genesis 1, 3 through 31 seem to imply that God acted on each specific day repeating the phrase and there was evening and there was morning the first day or the second day, third day, etc., Additionally, Genesis 1.5 says God called the light day and the darkness he called night, seemingly implying a standard solar day-night cycle. In other words, for us, it would represent a standard 24-hour day. Yet, in Genesis 2.4, there's a seemingly peculiar use of this same Hebrew word when the writer says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens implying perhaps that the entire creation week, as we may have interpreted as being seven consecutive solar days, now might have been done in one grand day. Well, friends, specifically for us westernized Gentile Christians, this all just seems so confusing, doesn't it? We may even throw our hands up and exclaim in frustration, I don't know what to believe, but you know what, friends? This would be totally understandable, especially if we've left our detective's cap, our pocket magnifying glass, and our Hebrew sandals in the closet. You see, we've got to be detectives of the divine all the time, and we've got to have that inquiring mind that the Bereans in Acts 17 had. We can't afford to leave any one of these behind, friends. They're essential equipment in the journey of reading, studying, and interpreting the scriptures as detectives of the divine, one area we must scour is the cultural historical dimension of ancient Near Eastern life, especially the Hebrews' understanding of time. In Bible times, people knew nothing of a 24-hour day. To them, a day was the period between sunrise and sunset, which was then divided into 12 equal parts called hours, these were the working hours. Even Jesus said, "'Are there not twelve hours in the day?' in John eleven nine, And hours were detected by observing the position of the sun, or when the first three stars appeared in the night sky. During the first six hours of the day, the sun was seen in the eastern sky.' For the Hebrews, then, the broad range of meaning for their word day, yam, becomes interesting, as it includes any part of a day, a full day, as well as an indeterminate period of time. So, for them, any part of a day was understood to be a day. The Romans and Greeks divided their days into watches, the hours a guard would be on duty. During the Roman occupation, the Jews adopted the Roman reckoning of time. A few examples are matthew twenty seven forty five and forty six and acts three one designating certain segments of a day. So, friends, this first century concept of time now helps us to reconcile the resurrection of Jesus Christ, countering the proposal of some that Jesus had to be crucified on a Wednesday or Thursday to fulfill being in the tomb three days and nights. But this is using Gentile reckoning of time and not Jewish reckoning. Jesus fulfilled the requirement dying on Friday afternoon and rising on Sunday morning by Hebrew reckoning. Now, with relation to the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, another factor is key. This being the use of a primary cardinal number in each of the days, and not an ordinal number. An ordinal number would be saying first, second, etc., whereas using a cardinal number would be indicating numerals, one, two, etc. Along with these cardinal numbers, there are also too many typical Hebrew designations for the common understanding of a day, such as morning and evening, as I mentioned earlier. Friends, we must remember that Genesis is the first of five books written by Moses, and admittedly he may have used some existing records to compile some of these books, but as detectives of the divine, we know his work was overseen and guided by the Holy Spirit. And shortly we'll see firsthand how Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy faithfully record the Hebrew understanding of and distinguishing between days, weeks, months, years, and seasons. So keep your seatbelts fastened and get ready for a grand ride through the scriptures. Our third segment will also be brief, and I bring to our attention as an FYI, as I mentioned earlier, that presently within evangelical Christianity, there are two divergent views. One view, OEC, meaning Old English Creationists, Old Earth Creationists, sorry, and the other view goes by the acronym YEC, or Young Earth Creationists. Fundamentally, the differences arise over the use of the Hebrew word for day, since it does have a broad range of meaning, and deciding whether God's day of creation were solar days or longer periods of time, possibly thousands of years. Friends, you can easily get the lowdown on these two positions if you're interested by doing an internet search for old earth creationists and young earth creationists. Our fourth segment will be short as well. The misdiagnosing and misinterpreting of 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10, simply because we read the phrase, with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and instantly our minds default to the creation week of Genesis chapters 1 and 2, virtually disregarding Peter's context, where he actually quotes from Psalm 90. If you like studying Peter's context at length, I mentioned earlier I dealt with Peter's text in session 21, aired on July 14th, called What a Difference a Day Makes. Unfortunately, because the word creation appears in Peter's text, we just flood our minds with Genesis 1, which is very sad, friends. Okay, sisters and brothers, are you ready to hop on the Bible Jeep and take an incredible journey with me through an array of Bible verses? You see, primo question we ultimately must answer is this, what saith the scriptures? And are we by default giving up sacred ground because secular or mainstream voices or liberal religious voices and even sincere evangelical voices are flooding our minds with statements or questions we can't answer? Where are the Bereans of our generation? Where are the detectives of the divine in our local church communities? Are there any gifted apologists in our churches today? Paul asks similar questions in Romans 1:18 through 18-25. Check them out. Well, friends, our first stop will be Exodus 16, 4 through 30. I'm counting on you to read through this portion. Because of time constraints, I'm going to highlight some key statements. And let me just say here at the outset, these scripture passages are worth writing down and keeping in your Bible so you can one day be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you or challenges you with their intellect or their quote-unquote science. So in Exodus 16, the key topic is God supplying manna and quail for the Israelites, as well as faithfully observing the Sabbath. In this portion, verses 4, 5, 8, 11 through 13, and 23 through 30 are key. Here are mentioned days, the sixth day, evening and morning, twilight, the Sabbath day, and working for six days and resting on the Sabbath day or the seventh day. Friends, is this sounding familiar already? Okay, our second stop is Exodus twenty eight through 11. The significance here being the Ten Commandments, specifically the Fourth Commandment, now signed into law by God himself. Here I'll read these four verses, so listen carefully. "'Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God.' On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor our son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreign residents in your towns. Here it comes now, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, or seventh day, and made it holy. Did you hear that, friends? Please don't just brush through these incredible two statements. One statement outlining Israel's work week, in other words, seven traditional solar days, and the other statement outlining God's work week, equal to Israel's work week, seven traditional solar days. Now friends this equation is repeated in exodus thirty one twelve through seventeen read it cause we'll pass by that stop in our journey our third stop is Exodus twenty three ten through twelve and let me just remind us all that we're dealing with an agrarian society here in the ancient Near East meaning a society of farmers and animal herders for them the sun rain crops feeding their animals growing their own food is primo for survival I bring this up because, friends, as this journey continues, we'll be seeing how important statements regarding days, weeks, months, years, and even seasons really are. And since we're highlighting just three verses here, I'll read them. And a topic at hand here is reinforcing the Sabbath. For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days your work, but on seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Well, friends, how are we doing? Are we detectives of the divine yet? Is our detective's cap on? Do we have our pocket magnifying glass out yet? Have we strapped on our Hebrew sandals? Have we discovered that Moses and these Israelites really do know the difference between days, weeks, months, and years? Have we discovered that their entire lives are wrapped around and absolutely dependent on what happens on days, weeks, months, and years and seasons? Well, let's now set our sights on our fourth stop, Exodus 24, 15 through 18. Here the topic is God confirming his covenant with Moses and bids Moses to come up the mountain with Israel's elders, but only Moses can come near God. Well, all of the Exodus chapter 54 is meaty, but we'll focus on verses 15 through 18, where Moses goes up the mountain and the cloud of God and the glory of God settle on Mount Sinai. Just listen to the second half of verse 15. Through verse eighteen. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Ever wonder where the writer of Hebrews got Our God is a consuming fire? Well, here it is actually from here and Deuteronomy four twenty four. Verse 18 goes on. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Interesting, isn't it, friends? Should we marvel that Moses and the Israelites could distinguish between six days, a seventh day, and forty days and forty nights? Well, our journey in sequence would have us stop next at Exodus 31, 12 through 17, but we tagged that one on to our second stop earlier. So we'll make our fifth stop Exodus 34, 21, and 35 too, since they're in close proximity. Now, friends, don't let this repetition of similar texts sound monotonous, because regarding this subject for today, this set of scriptures are like a chain link, each connecting and building upon the previous, validating the meanings of common agrarian terms like days, weeks, months, years, and seasons. So don't miss this fact. And also don't miss the fact that we're taking this journey to solidify and answer our primo question, what saith the scriptures? These two verses reinforce the Sabbath law of laboring for six days and resting on the seventh day, again solidifying the fact that these days represent solar days and not years or other lengths of time. Well, friends, our sixth stop brings us to Leviticus 23 and Leviticus 25, 23, 1 through 8 and 15 and 25, 1 through 22. The topics behind these particular texts in Leviticus introduce us to the appointed festivals. The Israelites are to celebrate, also called sacred assemblies. And interestingly, twenty three three begins with reinforcing the Sabbath law of working six days and resting on the seventh day. And in Leviticus 23, 4 through 8, we're introduced to the importance of months. As in the 14th day of the first month, the 15th day of the first month, then Moses throws in seven days, and on the seventh day holding a sacred assembly. Then 23:15 throws in, differentiating days with weeks. From the day after the Sabbath, count off seven full weeks. Then count off 50 days after the seventh Sabbath. Hmm, sure sounds to me like they know the difference between days, weeks, and months. After all, their survival depends on this. Then Leviticus 25 reintroduces us to the Sabbath year and the year of jubilee. Within these 22 verses, the Israelites are counting off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then they have to count off the 10th day of the seventh month. Then the 50th year shall be a year of jubilee, and that they may must consecrate this 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. Phew, they must have a bunch of mathematicians at Moses' side to make sure they keep all these special days, weeks, months, and years. Well, friends, our seventh stop on our journey through the scriptures has us landing in Deuteronomy, 5:12 through 15 and 16 5 through 17 and once again in 5:12 through 17 God sees fit to reinforce the sabbath day law observe the sabbath day by keeping it holy as the lord your god has commanded you six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god this portion is then summarized with these words. Therefore, the day Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Lastly, in Deuteronomy 16:5 through 17, these verses are awesome. In this chapter 16 portion, we see that the Israelites distinguish between days, weeks, months, and years in a single set of 13 verses. Well, friends, we're heading back to the station from which we left, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Friends, you're not going to believe how different these two chapters are going to sound after journeying with me through these stops in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. So take a few minutes and open to the first page of the first book of our Bible and just read the first verse through verse 5 for starters. I'll bet you can't stop and you'll keep going through Genesis 2-4. Just listen to Genesis 1 verses 1-5 through 5, and then tell me you're not stoked to read on to chapter 2 verse 4. I'm going to read from the Hebrew Bible. When God began to create heaven and earth, the earth being unformed and void, with darkness over the surface of the deep, and a wind from God, or the Spirit of God, was sweeping over the water, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning, one day. Friends, can you see what happens when we strip away our preconceived ideas and just let the text of Scripture jump out at us? See the creation story for what it is? An extension of the common and simple language of the entire Pentateuch, that being the first five books of the Bible, of which we journeyed through four of them. Friends, I'd like to close out our session today with reading a few key portions of a few psalms which echo God being the sovereign creator of the heavens and the earth. I'd just like to bless you with these verses. Psalm 74, 16 and 17. The day is yours and yours also the night. You established the sun and moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. Psalm 33, 6-9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all peoples of the world revere him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, We're nearing the end of our program, which will close with an email where you may write me. A listener wrote in on one session 25, The Unpardonable Sin, with, I just listened to the broadcast a second time. It's the first time I can agree with the issue. Thank you for today's teaching. I remember my sister in the 1970s waking me up at night saying she committed The Unpardonable Sin. Anyway, thank you. Well, thank you for your testimony. And friends, remember the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Friends, A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. Please consider financially helping to keep it on the air. Email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember... Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this
1: program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at That's a word from the word at minister.com.